With Hashem's assistance, we are learning Gittin Daf Nun Aleph, page 51. We begin at the very bottom of Nun Amit Beis, page 50b. And we are speaking about the concept that if we had this whole case where Reuven bought a field from Shimon, it turns out it was a stolen field. So Reuven invested all of this effort into creating this beautiful field. He's developed it. Now who has to pay him for the development, for the, for the fruits? So obviously the guy who sold it to him has to pay. However, when Reuven comes to collect, so he has some kind of document saying that he had bought this field and it's clear that it was a mistake. So when he collects, he can only collect from the chasim and echorim, only from those that are free and not those that Shimon subsequently sold. So now we have two different sheets, two different understandings. Why is that? So Ula said in the name of Reish Lakish, the reason is because it never was written, these fruits, and it was never written the amount that the, the land would go up in value. That was Reish Lakish. And Rabbi Hanin Omar, we start from, the, from two lines from the bottom, Rabbi Hanin Omar, this is something that was not set. Since it's something that was not set, it could be, we're going to see it's a question, but it could be even if it was written, it wouldn't help us because since it wasn't set, so the person who's buying the field never knows how much he has to save for, for this guy if he's going to come along and collect because, out of responsibility from, for, because uh, something happened. So therefore... That's the problem. The problem is, according to Rabbi Hanina, that it wasn't said. The Gemara asks a question. The Rabbi Hanina, does he need it to be set and written? Or perhaps, if it's, if it's set, despite the fact that it was not written at all, he would still be able to collect, perhaps, from Nechasim Mishibadim, from encumbered properties. Tashima, so we bring a proof. The Etmar, we have a Memra. Misha Mace, somebody who passed away, and left over two daughters, Uben and also a son. So now this first daughter, so because there's a son, so they're not going to get, they're not going to split up the girls, they're not going to get anything of the land. However, they do have set aside for them a tenth of the property or of the nechassim, of the inheritance, in order that they should be able to use it as an investment or in order to be able to support themselves. So each one is allowed to take a tenth. Now, the first girl, she goes and she takes her tenth. And before the second one had a chance to take that tenth for herself, so the son died, thus leaving the two portions, whatever's left, I'm sorry, the rest of the inheritance was left for them to split between the two daughters. Rabbi Yechanan says the second daughter, so she lost that on her 10%, meaning the first daughter already took her 10%, and thus they only they split up the rest of the 90% of the property between the two, and thus each one takes another 45%. And the second daughter does not have a chance to take her 10% before they split the rest. Va'amr later bichanina, and bichanina responded, Gidoilu mizu amru. Actually, greater than this we find. Moitzin le parnasa ve'in moitzin le menzainus. So we find that if someone went and he bought something, let's say, meaning you have a case, we have these two daughters, and you have a son, and then somebody goes and he buys something, a piece of land. So the daughters have a right to go and collect from that field if they need to get mezenis, if they need to be supported. So if they can collect from the field, that shows that they have the rights to take it from whoever has taken it. So we're saying is if that's the case, then certainly she has a right, the second daughter has a right to take also from what the, what the what her older sister already took, or the other sister already took. So how can you say that the second girl has lost out? In regards to Parnasa, livelihood, supporting herself, the Mekatz Kaitsa, it's something that is set. But it wasn't something that was written. And we see that she has the right and the ability to take it out. So this we, thus we prove as long as it's Katsuv, it's set. Even though it hasn't been written, that's going to be enough for him to be able to collect from the Chasim from something that was encumbered, an encumbered property. The Gemara Shani Parnasa, it's different when we're talking about livelihood. Came in the Isla Kola, that's something that everybody
everybody knows about it. Command dummy. So therefore, it says if that it was written. But over here, this is not something. If it's not written and it's not said, it could be that we don't. No one will hear about it. That's the issue. We need to know. People need to know about it in order to know that uh, that someone might come along one day, and they have to be able to take that into account when they're actually buying the property originally. The Gemara continues. Maser Rav Huna Bar Manoach. Rav Huna Bar Manoach asked the following question: In a case like this, Mesu. The parents died. You have the father and the mother. And what happened was like this. The woman, she married this guy. And when she came into the marriage, so she had some kind of daughter. And she says to her husband that, I want you to provide for my daughter for five years. Okay? Then they get divorced. And Rashi says that she goes and she remarries someone else. And she makes the same condition with the second guy and says, I want you to go and I want you to provide for my daughter for five years. And he agrees. So now what happens? They both die. And so the first one, the first husband or the children of the first husband, they have to provide for her any kind of money that she would need for, for Mizonos, for Parnassah, in order to have a livelihood. And the second group, the second Yisomim, so they have to provide for her food. So despite the fact that she's getting double, she has the right to get that. Because she, the, the mother made this condition with the two husbands. Now, so then let's get, get back to the Gemara. Mesu, if they die, So the daughters, meaning the regular daughters, they can be only fed from the free properties. However, the girl who they dedicated and said that they're going to, they're going to give her five years worth of food, so she can even collect from from encumbered properties, properties that were sold subsequent to that um, obligation that they took upon themselves. Because it's no different than a regular case of somebody who owes someone else money. So what do we see over here? The cases where it was indeed set, there was a five-year period that was set that he's going to provide Mizono's livelihood to her, and it wasn't written down. And nevertheless, we see that it's and it does collect. So this is a proof that Rabbi Hanina would hold that it needs to be set, but it doesn't have to be written down in order to be able to to get from encumbered properties. The Gemara says it's not a good proof. Because what are we dealing with here? There was some kind of Kenyan that occurred. And since there was a Kenyan, Sarashi says that it's considered like it was written down. And therefore, it's no proof. If that's the case, the Gemara says, Why, why don't the daughters also get some kind of... Why, don't, why can't they collect from the Chassam Mishuadim from encumbered properties? The Gemara says, He only made a Kenyan. He only created this obligation through a Kenyan only for the daughter that came into the marriage, not the daughters that were, that were born after the wife and the husband got married. So the Gemara says, my Pascha, why is this something that's so clear-cut that it didn't even have to specify and explain this? The Gemara answers, the daughter of his wife that came in at the original time when they were making this whole, the whole obligation, and they did it through a Kenyan, so then the Kenyan works for it. However, the daughters that were only born subsequently, they weren't there at the time that the original obligation was made. So that original obligation that was done through some kind of action of a Kenyan does not apply to those daughters, and therefore only the daughter that came into the marriage is someone who can collect from the chasim and from encumbered properties. So the Gemara says, wait, maybe the cases where they were all there at the time when when the, the obligation was made. So how can you have that if these were, they were born from the same the same husband and wife? Maybe the cases like this. She got married to this guy. She came in with a kid. Now she got married, she, they got divorced after they had some children, and then they got remarried and then they went and, and again she took on the obligation and then these daughters even the daughters that they had together would also be included in that 
So the Gemara answers, The reason that the daughters that they have together are not included in this action allowing her to be able to collect from Mishubadim from the encumbered properties is because where are the daughters included? The daughters are included in the original Ksuva, which here is called a Tanai Bezdin, a condition of the courts. And since they're included in the Ksuva, so it's a totally different thing. They're not included in the Kenyan, in the requirement, this five-year set thing, and therefore they don't come into Mishubadim. However, the daughter that the wife has from before, that she was not included in the Ksuva Mahani Lakinian. So, therefore, that Kinian that they do, that condition that she makes, the wife with the husband as they get married, that does work for her, for that daughter that, that was from a previous marriage. And therefore, she can collect from Mishubadim from encumbered properties. The Gemara says, Wait, could it be that because she's included, how could it be that the children, his own children, his own daughters from this wife, are going to be worth? Than the, than the daughter that, that they had from a previous marriage. So the Gemara answers, his own daughter came in the Betanai Beznik Achla, since she's eating from and because of the Ksuva, the condition in the Ksuva, the reason that she's not going to be able to get from a Shubadim because we would assume, and it's most likely true, that the husband, before he passed away, he left her a bag full of coins in order that she'd be able to have something to invest and to be able to collect and use for her livelihood. And that's why she can't get from encumbered properties. But the other daughter, the daughter from the previous marriage, so she doesn't have it. So therefore she has the backup plan, which her mother allowed for, which was that she'd be able to collect at some point from for five years, and from the Chassim and Shubadim, even from uh, encumbered properties. Tashima, we bring a proof. Amr Rav Nassim, Rav Nassim says like this, The case that we spoke about in the Mishnah, which was a Ruvain bought a field from Shimon, and Shimon was the one who had stolen this field. So now Ruvain comes back to him and says to him, all of my investment is gone, all of the time I spent, all of the, the amount that the field has gone up in value, all of the fruits that I, you know, I worked so hard to create. So you have to pay me for that. So we say he can't go to the one who Shimon had sold the field to. Meaning, if Shimon went and sold the field before this guy complained, but after Ruvain bought it from Shimon, this stolen field, so now that field that Shimon has sold should be encumbered to the obligation that he has towards Ruvain because he ripped off Ruvain. But we said in the Mishnah that no, he can't collect, Ruvain cannot collect any kind of fruits and any kind of value that the field has gone up from anything that was sold. So the Gemara says like this, When is it that he cannot collect? It's only if the guy who bought the field from Shimon, meaning the guy who wasn't ripped off, he bought a field after the guy who was ripped off. And so that happened before the first guy, Ruvain, went and made the field into a better place. However, if Ruvain, who bought the stolen property, first went and made the property better, and then a second guy came and bought a different field that really did belong to Shimon from him, so in that case, he will indeed have the ability to collect from encumbered properties. That specific property will be encumbered. So what do we see? What's the reason why we say that in fact a person does not have the ability to collect normally from Nechassim Mishabadim, from encumbered properties? It's because he's not aware of the fact that someone has bought this land. He knows that someone bought his land, but he doesn't know that this guy has invested all this effort and is creating all of these fruits. He doesn't know. For all he knows, he could do nothing with the field. For all he knows, he could build a stadium on that field. He doesn't know what he's doing with it. So that's what we see. But it has nothing to do with, with neither Rebbe Hanina nor Ula. Ula said the 
of word is that a person doesn't know because it wasn't written. And Rabbi Hanina said a person doesn't know because it was never said. But here we see that that's not the issue at all. So what are they going to answer? So the Gemara says, Tanoihi. It's actually Machokas Tanoim, what the reason is why he can't collect from encumbered properties. The Tani we learn that in our Brahsa, all of those cases cannot collect from encumbered properties. Because of a rectification of the world, what's the reason? Because according to the Tanakam, it wasn't written, just like Ula said. What does it help us if it's written? It was never set. Meaning the issue, according to Rabbi Yaisi, is like Rabbi Hanina, and that is that we see that it has to be set before in order for the people who are buying the properties afterwards to know what's going to happen and what they're going to have to set aside and take into account the fact that this, this stuff might get taken away. So as long as it's not set, so they don't take that into account, but as soon as it is set, they do take it into account, and therefore he would be able to collect from encumbered properties. The Gemara continues, Somebody finds a lost object, so he does not have to swear. Ruvain says to Shimon that you found two of my purses that were attached to each other. The other one responds and says, No, I only found one. Nishba, so he has to swear. So Reuven says to Shimon, in this case, you found two of my oxen that were tied together. And the one responds, no, I only found one. So he doesn't have to swear. My time, what's the reason? What's the difference between these two cases? Why in one case does he swear and one case not? It's common if you have two oxen that are attached that they detach from them from each other. And therefore, when he says that I only found one, we trust him. However, when you have two purses that are attached, so it's quite uncommon for them to get detached from each other. Therefore, when he says, I only found one, we don't really trust him. We have every reason to believe that he really found two, so we make him swear. Let's say Ruvain says to Shimon, you found two of my oxen that were attached. The other one responds, He says, I indeed found and returned one of them to you. So in this case, he does have to swear because he's not contradicting the first guy's, what the first guy said. He never said no. So therefore he has to swear that he didn't find the first one. He only found one. And what do we see? Rabbi Yitzchak holds that someone who finds a lost object does not have to swear because of a rectification of the world. So the Gemara says, we turn to Nona Alpha page 51b, who the Amar Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov? It's because he holds like Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov. The time we learned in a Bryce, Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov, I remember, Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov says, there are times when a person actually swears for something that he himself says, despite the fact that no one else came and said that, uh, you know, you found something of mine or you owe me something. Even though the guy himself is admitting, he still will have to, to make a swear. We're going to see the case, but the comparison to the, between that case and the case of finding something is that when I come and say that I found something, I didn't have to come and say I found anything. So how could it be that I have to swear? So from the fact that Rabbi Yitzchak says I have to swear nevertheless, so it sounds like this this case of Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov, where Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov is saying that a person can even swear, even in a case where he was the one who introduced the whole concept. So the Gemara says, what's the case? Ketzad. There's a hundred dollars that was your father's that was in my hand. And I returned him half. So he has to swear. And that's the case where he's swearing for his own, the own thing, the own case that he brought up for himself. That all he is is like returning a lost object and therefore he's, he's uh, exempt from saying any kind of swear. For Rabbi Lazar and Yaakov, so how does it be? How can it be that Rabbi Lazar Yaakov holds that if you were turning it, he didn't have to say anything? Why is it that you have to swear? Amarav, 
Rav says that the reason is in this case is because that a child is coming and saying, you owe me, you, you owe my father this hundred dollars and you never paid him. So the Gemara says, wait, Cotton, midi mishosha ispe. Who cares if a child is coming and saying anything? The fact that he said anything is irrelevant. But we have a mishnah. You never swear in response to that which a deaf person, a, a fool, or a child says. My cotton. So we say no. What's this case that we're saying? That he has to make a swear. It's because this cotton that we're talking about is not a regular cotton. Godel. He's actually an adult. My cotton. So why are we referring to him as a child? Because in regards to his father's manners, he's not fully aware. He doesn't know everything that his father did. So he's just a child. So therefore, th- that's why he's he has a good time. He can say, "Listen, you owe that money to my father." And the guy's responding and saying, "No, I already paid him half, and uh, I don't owe the full amount." And therefore, he has to swear. So the Gemara says, So why are we referring to this as him bringing up his own thing? It sounds like the guy who has to swear is bringing the whole thing up. That's not his own thing. This is a case where someone else is bringing up this whole thing. So the Gemara answers, The case is where someone else is bringing it up, and he indeed is admitting to it. And that's why he has to swear. So, so the Gemara says, wait, But if that's the case, how can, you, still, how can you refer to it as something that he himself is doing? This is an unusual thing. It makes it sound like the Lushan of the Brisa was, Rashi points out, There are times when a person has to swear for something that he himself has done or he himself has said. This is a regular case where someone is coming and saying that he owes something and he's admitting to it or admitting to part of it. So of course he swears. This is no different than any other case. So Gemara answers, Rather, they're arguing in Rabbah about the issue that Rabbah brings up. The Amar Rabbah. Rabbah says like this, Why does the Torah say, That if someone admits the part of the Taina, so he has to swear, So we have a concept that a person would never go and completely deny, he would never have the gall, the audacity, in front of the person who lent him money to completely deny. Lay. But really, he would like to deny the whole thing. Why didn't he deny it? Because he's, he's embarrassed to, he wouldn't have the audacity to deny the whole thing in front of the person he really owes the money to. So he should admit to the whole thing. So why didn't he admit to the whole thing? So he's just trying to get out of it. It doesn't really mean that he never that he doesn't owe it, but he's just thinking to himself, I'm going to say right now I don't owe the rest, and then when I get the money, I'll, I'll pay him the rest. Amrachmana, so therefore the Torah says, Ramishvui ilave, place upon him some kind of swear, this way he'll be forced to admit to the whole thing. So Rebbe Yaakov holds, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about the person himself or his son. A person would never have the gall, the audacity to say that, I'm not, that I don't owe you anything. So therefore it's not considered like he's returning, he's not, he's not bringing it up on his own. However, and we're going to understand very soon, the rabbis hold no, only in regards to the person himself. If someone comes, if Ruven comes to Shimon and says to him, you owe me money, where's the money that you owe me? Shimon would never say, oh, what money? What are you talking about? He knows he owes him money, so that's why he admits the half. However, of a Laban of Meis, but in regards to the kids, a person would indeed have the gold, the audacity to say, I don't owe you anything. So from the fact that this guy here is not going and saying that, he's admitting to part of it, therefore it's 
considered like he's returning a lost article, meaning he didn't have to say anything. He could have went and said, and he would have been believed, he could have went and said, and he would have went and said that, I'm not, that I don't owe anything. But the fact that he said, I owe part of it, so that's, that's he's doing it of his own accord. And therefore, there's no, there's no case of making him swear according to the rabbis. Whereas according to Rabbi Shemim he holds that no, a person would not even be amazed. He wouldn't have the audacity even in front of the children. And therefore, it's not considered like a Meshav Aved. It's not considered like he's doing it of his own accord. And therefore, like every other case, he has to swear.